The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks on
You know, I love what Brother Freddie said a moment ago about the darkness that was in the world. And it's so true. I don't know if you can imagine, but 400 years. And it's called the Dark Ages. And the reason it's referred to as the Dark Ages is because there was no light. God had been speaking and moving, working, and then all of a sudden it's like the switch went off. Nothing. Since the prophet Malachi, nothing. No word. No prophet spoke for God. And there was a reason for the darkness. Actually, the the darkness was intended to bring out the light because light is made perfect in darkness. If we were to turn off all the lights and it was pitch black in here, the smallest amount of light would light up an amazing amount because darkness can't hold light. It can't stop light. Light overcomes darkness. And actually, there's a passage. It's in Isaiah chapter 60. It's the first part of verse 2. Isaiah was prophesying and he said this. He said, darkness, he was prophesying and he said, darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth. So he even prophesied this time to come. It was after Isaiah's day. But still, God knew that there would be this time, this period of time when there would be darkness. But then light comes forth out of that darkness. Then we see the left or the lat, latter part of that verse. Let's see uh, the, the verse 2, the end of that verse. And then the verse 3, it says, But the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. So the plan was to have darkness, and then out of that darkness would come the light of the world. And that the whole world would see his radiance. And you know, since that day, the world has never been the same. This whole world has never been the same since Jesus appeared in this world. God himself showed up. And just as it says in verse 3, a lot of people, kings and everyone, have been coming to the radiance of Jesus ever since. You and I and so many others have come to see his light. And we come to that light and, and, and we see that he is the hope, the light of the world. You know, I, I thought the other day, just about the Christmas time, I was reading a story. It's kind of a it's really almost crazy. It was funny, but it wasn't funny. It was about a teacher. I believe it was in Colleen, Texas. And the teacher decided to celebrate the Christmas season and put a picture of Linus. Everybody remember Linus from Peanuts? put a picture of Linus on her door. And I think, do we have a picture of that? Yeah. She put a picture. This is the teacher's door. And then this is one of 
the things, when they were asking what is the real meaning of Christmas, then this was his response. He quoted the scripture. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's what Christmas is all about. And they got all bent out of shape. I mean, it got into the court system. The principal came to the teacher and said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to take that down. They said, excuse me, you're going to have to take that down. It's offensive. And and so they, they went back, they went to the school board. The school board affirmed the principal and demanded that the teacher take that down because it was offensive. Now, Interestingly enough, Texas passed a law in 2013 that did not allow anyone in education to hinder the celebration of Christmas, called the Christmas Law. Uh, And so the Attorney General uh, demanded that they put that back up because they were in violation of the law. They still refused. So they had to take it to court. I think they got the court ruling just the other day. Do we have a picture of the the headline? Yeah. Judge rules Linus poster can go back up at Colleen's Club. Isn't it amazing that that they had to go to the court system? But but if you think about that, and I'm glad the judge ruled. I don't know if that's the end of it or not. But it, it kind of brings up an interesting question. What are they so afraid of? (laughs) What is it about the story of this baby Jesus that sends shivers down the spine of so many people? And and I know they say, well, we're we're afraid it might offend people. I don't want to say that. That's bogus. That's a bunch of baloney. I, I can walk into a Chinese restaurant and I see a little Buddha thing down there. I don't get offended and run out screaming and crying like it's going to attack me or something or it's going to overcome me. I don't worry about it. I just walk in and enjoy the Chinese food. It doesn't offend me. I don't, it doesn't bother me. They want to put that baloney up, that's fine. But there's something about Jesus. There's something about the story of Jesus that just causes the demons in hell to just start pulling out their hair and causes people to get all bent out of shape, file lawsuits, and get that wicked, terrible, nasty scripture off of that door. It's amazing. They can put all kinds of filthy stuff up and they probably wouldn't bother at all. But put a scripture up and oh my goodness. I want you to think just a moment with me. What is it? And I thought about it. And it's interesting because the scripture that Charlie Brown quoted is Luke 2.11. And Luke 2.11 And any translation you read, it really encapsulates the the offensiveness to some people about Christmas. I want you to look at Luke 2.11. Just think for a minute, just a minute. The Savior, yes, 
the Messiah. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. That was the message of the angels declaring to the shepherds, the Savior, the Lord, the Messiah, the anointed one of Israel has been born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem. So what upsets people is the, re- the truth, the reality of the supernatural birth of Jesus. Because everything about the birth of Jesus is supernatural. This simple scripture tells us why so many people are so afraid of the story of Jesus. Because it reminds people that if he's the Savior, we need saving. If we need saving, we're a sinner. And if he's the Savior, he is Christ the Lord. He is the anointed one of God. He is the king. He is the one who has come to redeem all of mankind. And you see, the world wants to have a God that it can control. And when God is a supernatural God, they can't control a supernatural God. So they want a God they can change, control. And they like a Christmas that they can pack up and put in a closet after Christmas is over. They like Frosty and Santa and and all the fantasy things of Christmas. They like those things because those they can control. They They can do away with them if they want to. But Jesus, oh, that's different. He's Christ the Lord. He's the Savior which means we need saving, which means we are sinners in the sight of a holy God. And that causes fear in so many lives. So today, I want you to think with me. What is so supernatural about the birth of Jesus? So if someone asks you, What is it about the birth of Jesus that seems to cause fits to so many people? Just simply say, because it's a supernatural birth. And if it's a supernatural birth, then he's God. And if he's God, he spoke the truth, that he is Christ the Lord. So let's look at it. So many things. Number one thing, we're going to look at the prophecies His place of birth was prophesied. It's interesting. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Apaprotha, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. Now, that was spoken 800 years before Jesus was born. You know, it's difficult to predict something and then make it happen because the problem is we die. (laughs) And it's pretty difficult to make something happen after you're dead. Would you agree with that? 
It's the reason why so many people don't make predictions that they will never live to see come to pass. But God loves to speak things hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever happens. And then it's, he makes sure it's written down. And then they read it. And then it comes to pass. And they look at it and they say, only God. Only God could make a prediction about where the Messiah would be born. Bethlehem. Of all the little small villages, it's only about five, five miles outside of Jerusalem. Small distance. We went there when we were in, in the Holy Lands. When, right before we uh, got to uh, Beth, uh, Jerusalem, we went to visit Bethlehem. A little, just a little spot in the road. And yet God made a decision. And, and I don't know if you caught this, but notice the end of that verse. Put it back up in Micah 5, 2. He even declares at the end of the verse, a ruler of Israel whose origin are in the distant past. Some of the translations say that the ruler has come from everlasting. (laughs) Only God could say that his Messiah, the king, the ruler of Israel, would be born in a small town named Bethlehem and say it 800 years before it happens. And then tell us, by the way, this ruler is going to come from everlasting. From an origin that is in the distant past. Amazing God. You know, they have, scientists have developed what they call the law of compound probability. It is the probability of something happening that is very remote. And so several mathematicians got together and they wanted to see what would be the law of compound, the probability, the odds of someone being able to make a prediction 700 years before it happened. And they began to, you know, get all the computers whirling and, and, and they, they said that the chances are so amazing that it, it could hardly happen. And they finally came up with a number. They wanted a number. It was 1 to the 28th power. Now, I, I don't know. I understand trillion and and and... Quadzillion and bazillion. Is that a word? Bazillion? I don't know. Hadra, quadra, hapa, hapa, zillion. I don't know all the terms that come with it, but I just know 28 zeros is, is, is a lot. And then one scientist said, he said, okay, he said, let's put this to the terms. He said, cover the entire state of Texas three feet deep in silver dollars. The whole state. Mark one silver dollar and throw it out there in the middle of the state of Texas somewhere. And then blindfold a man and have him walk all over Texas blind. And the chances of him reaching down and grabbing that silver dollar is one to the 28th power. Not real good chances. And yet God had no problem. He had no problem because time does not constrain God. He can see the beginning and the end. 
He can speak something and cause it to happen 800 years later with no problem. 800 years is like one tick in his timetable. The second thing, and that is his supernatural conception was prophesied. His supernatural conception was prophesied. Look, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's kind of an interesting verse, especially when you look at the context. Verse 14 says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's important to understand the context of that. Because King Ahaz was the king of Israel at the time. And a huge army had gathered against him. A vast army. And he was worried that he was going to be overcome. And so Isaiah told him, don't be worried, God will fight for you. You will overcome these odds. But Ahaz was having a hard time, even though Isaiah the prophet, who was the prophet of the day, even though Isaiah told him it's going to be okay, he still had a hard time with this. So God spoke to Isaiah. It's pretty amazing. He said, go to King Ahaz and tell him this. Say, King Ahaz, Ahaz, you can ask for any sign you want. Nothing will be held back. You can ask for anything at all, and I'll do it to prove to you that you're going to be okay. That was pretty an amazing offer from God himself. But you know what Ahaz did? He said, no, I can't do it. I cannot ask for anything. He was just kind of overwhelmed, I guess. And so because he wouldn't ask for a sign, He wouldn't ask for a miracle. Right there, God decided, okay, I'm going to use this opportunity to speak about a sign that you will never see happen. And Isaiah was 700 years before the birth of Jesus, about 100 years after Micah. So Isaiah speaks it, verse 14. Go back. All right then, and the all right then was a result of King Ahaz refusing to ask for a sign, even though God gave him the opportunity. He said, okay, then God will give you a sign himself. The virgin will conceive with child. She'll give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. Everybody understand how impossible it is to have a child when you're a virgin. Right? And so God said, I'm going to do the impossible. Never before had a child ever been born to a virgin. And never since. It's never happened. But God decided. And it wasn't just to show his supernatural power. Jesus had to be born of a virgin. So that the blood would not be tainted with the sin of Adam. You see, that child gets its blood from the father. And the sin of Adam had been passed on from child to child to child to child. And the sin of Adam, our sin, tainted our blood. 
Therefore, all men are sinners. But the one who would rescue us, who would redeem us, who would shed His only blood, His blood would be incorruptible. It would not have the sin of Adam. So therefore, Jesus had to be born of a virgin so that His blood would be incorruptible. It would not be tainted by the blood of Adam. It was necessary that Jesus be born the way He was born. And the best picture we can see is that, remember going back to in Genesis, it says the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And God spoke and brought forth life. Life came from darkness. Life came from nothingness. Well, in that same way, the Holy Spirit hovered over Mary. And God's seed was placed within her. And she became a child. God Himself, without the seed of Adam, without the blood of Adam, it was necessary. It makes the birth of Jesus supernatural. And if the birth of Jesus is supernatural, He's God. And if He's God, we're not. We're not God. We're not in charge. We're not in control. So no wonder the whole story of the birth of Jesus scares so many people. The third thing, I love this. His birth was announced... By the supernatural appearance of a star. Now, ladies, when you got pregnant with your child, or maybe your first child, maybe some of you sent out announcements about your birth, right? Birth of your child. Maybe you were going to have a shower. Or maybe you just wanted to announce that, you know, you're going to have a baby. Now, I notice everybody today, they put their announcements on the Internet. But, you know, back before the Internet, you know, you just sent out a letter or a note or something in writing to announce the good tidings. But I want to tell you, God beat you all. He decided he would give his birth announcement by causing a star to appear in the sky. And he decided he would tell people about it 1,400 years before it would happen. Remember the story of Balaam the prophet? Balaam the prophet was the one who was the reluctant prophet. Who even though he wanted to curse Israel, couldn't. He kept speaking blessings and kept making the king Balak upset. Remember that? On the third word of Balaam, God decided... And I love the way God just decides to interrupt in the middle of a situation and speak a prophetic word... A messianic word about Jesus. We see it in the book of Numbers 24. This is the message Balaam delivered. This is the third message of Balaam. This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor. The message of the man whose eyes see clearly. The message of one who hears the words of God, who has a knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. I see him, 
Now he, he's seeing something and then supernatural. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future, a star will rise from Jacob, a scepter, meaning kingship. Scepter was always a sign of being a king. A scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the heads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. In the middle of a blessing for the people of Israel, God decided to speak a word that would be a birth announcement. And for hundreds of years, they didn't think about it. But then something happened. A star appeared in the horizon that was unlike any other star. It was bright. It was so bright they couldn't miss it. And it seemed to be over the nation of Israel. And it got everybody talking. And they began to remember back what Balaam this prophet had spoken. That a star would announce the one who would have a scepter. And that got Herod upset. That got him all uptight. And you remember what he did. He, he, he went for the wise men, said, what, what is going on? What does the prophet say about this? Uh, he, what was he afraid of? Was he afraid? Uh, he was afraid his kingship was going to be threatened. He was afraid he was about to lose his throne. This whole talk about a scepter and another king, it got him upset. And so he asked them, he said, what is this about? What does the scriptures say about a star? And they say, well, and they referred back to Balaam. And he says, well, where, where? And they used Micah 5, 2. And they said, Bethlehem. So he said, you go. And he sent these wise men heading toward Bethlehem. But they wouldn't know where to go except there was a star that led them. Now, I don't know how that went, but my thinking is it had to be bright, it had to be low, and it had to somehow shine a light, kind of like a huge spotlight. And they were just kind of like following that huge spotlight until the star stopped and the spotlight was right over the area where Jesus was. Now, I know it's a favorite story of the wise men coming and coming to the stable, but that's not the way it happened. Y'all know that. Y'all understand that. Uh, what happened, I mean, the shepherds worshipped baby Jesus in the manger, but the wise men, they got there about a year and a half to two years later. It took that long for all this to transpire. And so the wise men... They finally got there. And it says when they got there, they went to a house where Jesus lived. And they worshipped him. And they gave him gold and silver and frankincense. Which gave, I mean, you can think in terms of Mary and Joseph, they were dirt poor. You know, they don't have any money. So in just a little bit, the Holy Spirit speaks to Mary and Joseph, says, you need to leave now because Herod is angry because the, the wise men did not go back and report back to Herod. He knows the gig is up. 
And so he sends his army in and kill every child in Bethlehem under the age of two. Two and under, kill every child. But before that ever happened, before the army ever got there, he spoke to Mary and Joseph and said, leave now and go to Egypt. You see, God was fulfilling all kinds of scripture. Because the fourth thing I see here, and that is that not only did he prophesy the star 1,400 years, but the events after his death were predicted. He knew what was going to happen after uh, the birth of Jesus. And so when Mary and Joseph left and went to Egypt, Herod came and killed all those babies. I want to say that has to be a satanically inspired thing to kill children. How unnatural it is to kill children. And even today we see the sin of abortion, killing children, the innocent. Satan has been trying to kill children for thousands of years. And here, Herod has his army to kill children under the age of two. And even that's prophesied. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. And here's the prophecy. It's from Jeremiah 31, 15. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeped for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. So they saw even the death of these children was a prophetic word from the book of Jeremiah. And why did God have them to go into Egypt? Because it would be said of the Messiah that he would come out of Egypt. We see that, let's see, I believe that's in uh, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. So even the fact that he went to Egypt was a fulfillment of Scripture. And then, where did they go? Mary and Joseph Once Herod was dead, they got word that Herod was dead. When they came back, they went back to their natural city where they grew up in Nazareth. And it was also spoken that the Messiah would be a Nazarite. So, it's just so many things are happening that he's fulfilling Scripture after Scripture. God knew what he was doing. Don't ever let anybody say to you that the birth of Jesus was not supernatural. It was amazingly supernatural. Who else but God? Who else but God can speak something and then cause it to happen 700, 800, 1400 years later? Who who but God can do that? I mean, it's impossible with us. But if you're God and time does not constrain you and you see the end from the beginning, 
then 1,400 years is not a problem. He put his birth announcement in the paper 1,400 years early. Knowing that it would be written down. And at some point, somebody would dig and see that a star would announce the one who would be the ruler, have the scepter of Israel. He knew that. Who else but God? Now, it kind of presents a problem. Because the fifth thing that we have to look at, and that is, all of these prophecies about his birth tell us it was a supernatural birth. So what does that mean? That means that if his birth is a supernatural birth, you have to make a decision. Because if it's a supernatural birth, that means he's God. And everything that he said was true. That he is the Savior, that you need saving, that you are a sinner, and he is Christ the Lord. All those things are true. Christmas is not something you can stick back in your closet. Christmas is Jesus. And Jesus is 365 days a year. It is every day realizing He's the King. And I want to encourage you to make a decision. What will you do about this Jesus? Will you join the, the chorus of people who are trying to get rid of Jesus? Who want to put Jesus away? They want to stick Jesus in a closet. They, they don't want a teacher talking about something Peanut said, as harmless as that is. That upsets them. But it only upsets them because they want to be the God of their own life. They want to run things their way. They don't want any interference from God. And they don't want to be reminded of the supernatural birth of Jesus. Because the truth of it is, is that if Jesus is supernatural birth, then we need a Savior. Every person in here, you need a Savior. It means you need to be redeemed. It means that you're a sinner. That fallen short of God's glory. But the good news is. He died on the cross for you. That you could have new life. You know I had somebody tell me one time. They said. They, they watched me on TV. They've never been to our church. And they said. Now I invited them to church. And, and they kind of. Surprised me what, by what they said. They said. You know, I'd come to your church, but you make me awfully uncomfortable. I thought about that, and I thought, yeah, I probably do. You're always talking about making Jesus Lord. And that makes me uncomfortable. I said, really? Interesting. Because truth is we want to be Lord (laughs) we want to do what we want to do and there is a surrender there is the surrender that's necessary 
But my thinking, if his birth is a supernatural birth, then he's God. If he's God, then everything he said is true. If everything he said is true, then I'm in need of a Savior. And I need to be redeemed. And he died for me on the cross and provided life. And so today, I want to encourage you, don't have a Jesus that you can put away in the closet. Have a Jesus that can be Lord of your life every day. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, I just pray today for every person in this room. Seems like this is the season everybody is talking about Christmas, thinking about Christmas. But Lord, I pray that it would be more than just Christmas. It would be about Jesus, the Savior of the world, Christ, the Lord has been born. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, you are no longer a baby. You died. You resurrected. You live again. And you're seated at the right hand of our Heavenly Father to reign and rule forever. And you are ready to give new life to every person in this room. And I know, Lord, many, many in this room have new life. Many have made you Lord. Lord, I believe there are some people here today that you worked in special ways to get them here. One more time, Lord, to give us that opportunity to publicly declare Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord, I pray for every person that has never done that publicly, that today they would do that. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Today, I want to give you the opportunity to publicly make Him Lord of your life. Jesus said this in the book of Matthew. He said, Whosoever would confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever would deny me before men, him I will deny before my Father in heaven. So it tells us there has to be that willingness to openly declare, unashamedly to say, I'm not ashamed to say Jesus is my Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Worship team is going to sing. And if you would be willing this morning to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you'd be willing to publicly acknowledge Him as Lord of your life. And you'd be willing to pray with me, because I just want to pray with you about making Him the Lord of your life. While they're singing, we just I just want to invite you to come down and make Him the Lord of your life. Let's sing. Yes. Would you get out of your seat and come and say, I want to make him Lord of my life. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Would you come? Would you make him the Lord of your life? Would you publicly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life? Anyone else? Would you come? Anyone? 
anybody else. Come on. Come on. Our King has come. Come on. Yes, come on, young lady. Yes. Come coming down. Thank you. Thank you for your courage to come. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else before we pray? Making Jesus Lord of your life. What an amazing opportunity. What amazing time that we can make him Lord of our life. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your courage. He's, he went all the way to the cross for you. So this is a small step. Something we can say. I'm willing to make you Lord of my life. And I just want to say this simply. And that is when, you, when we pray this prayer. God does a miracle. I, I always say, like to say he does a heart transplant. He takes out your old heart and gives you a new heart. Gives you a brand new heart. Changes you. Makes you a brand new person. And what's amazing is that you change on the inside, but you know, some of the old stuff on the outside takes a while. And you know, you know what I mean by that? When a, when a tree uh, begins, the, the leaves die about three months before they fall off. The life stops going to those leaves, and then finally they wither and die and they fall off the tree. Well, spiritually speaking, some of the junk in our life, our tongue, our words, our actions, it takes a while. So, but you will be different on the inside. You'll never be the same. Amen? Let's pray. Y'all can join and pray out loud with me if you want. Let's pray it out loud. Heavenly Father, today I make you Lord. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I come to you, Lord, and I declare you, Lord. I accept the blood of Jesus as forgiveness of my sin. I can't save myself, but I trust in you, Lord. Give me a new heart. Change me on the inside. Renew my mind. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And cause me to be a brand new person. Thank you, Lord. I'm trusting you today, Lord. I believe your word. And I am born again by the Spirit of God. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah.